Good morning, Orchard. How are you doing today? Yeah, all right. Good to see you guys. Whether you are here in the building or whether you are with us online around the globe, we are glad you are here. And today we are talking about light. Now, light, that was very dramatic. Did you like that? I mean, we spared no expense for you guys. That's right. Um, but today we're talking about light, and we have been in the book of John. You know, I said through, through the 2020 that we had, we wanted to um, elevate Jesus back to his rightful place, to illuminate Jesus. And so we've been in the book of John, looking at all that, that he's been doing. And honestly, um, it, it's a great thing when the pastor's mind is being blown by the sermons. I'm, not, I'm, I'm loving what God is revealing to us about Jesus through this. And today, it's another one of those that um, God's just going to reveal some things I didn't know before. And we're going to look at one verse in John. One verse. But when you may have read it, you may have heard it, you may have seen it crocheted on a, on a throw pillow or on a wall somewhere. But today I believe there's going to be context for it. But before I even do that, we got to go back to the Old Testament, to the children of Israel wandering in the desert. Now we've talked about some of this before. You may have seen the movie about some of this before. But I just want to highlight some of this because we're going to be talking about the Feast of Tabernacles again in John 8 today. And the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus is celebrating goes back to the wilderness wandering of Moses. Moses brought the children of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, and then they went on a 40-year camping trip through the wilderness and the coolest thing about the whole thing is not the 40-year camping trip, but during that time, they obviously, they had to live in temporary housing. They were called sukkots. They were booths. They were tents. They had some, an opening at the, at the top. And, and one of the things that stands out most about this time was that during the, this 40 years of wandering, how God led them. And I'm going to read to you something from Numbers deep in the Old Testament. It says, on the day the tabernacle was set up. Now, let me tell you what the tabernacle is. When, we're gonna, when we move forward and talk to Jesus, he's going to be in the temple. The tabernacle was the mobile version of that. They would set it up and take it down. So when the mobile temple, the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening until morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. So when the sun would set until the sun would rise, there would be this pillar of fire above the tabernacle. This is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. And the cool part about this is it set, goes on to tell us that the, that the people would wake up the next morning and if the cloud of God's presence had moved, they packed up their tent and the whole nation moved with it. And they would follow it wherever it would go and when it would stop, they would stop and the priests would construct the tabernacle right below the cloud. They would construct it. The tribes all do the drill. All 12 tribes would, would make their place around it. And, but here's the cool part. At night, as they're all camped out, can you imagine this being led by God's presence by a massive pillar of cloud? But at night, at night, you would be laying there in your tent, in your Sukkot, and you would look up and you would see the glow of the pillar of fire above you. You would look up and you would see the, the red glow. It would light up the night. You can, uh, this is an artist's rendition. We don't have photographs of that, just so you don't know. Um, the pillar of fire would allow them to have light even in the darkness. Even at night, there was light. There's another picture here we have. And so can you imagine going to bed? It must have been very comforting. A divine nightlight. 
Every night you lay there and you look up and you see the red and you just realize the, 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 the glow, the flicker, the pillar of fire, and you realize God's with me. God's with us. We might be in unknown territory. We might be in the wilderness. We might not know where we're going, but he's with us and he knows. In Orchard, there's often times in our lives we need to look up and realize that God's with us. And we might not know where we're going. We might not know what's happening, but he is with us. So for 40 years, every single Hebrew, from baby to the elderly, would lay there in bed and see the glow of the pillar of fire up there that lit up the whole camp. And every morning, they would awaken, and they would look and see if the pillar of cloud had moved. And if it didn't, they stayed. If it did, they packed up. Traveling around the wilderness, and all the time, a visible representation of God's presence and God leading them. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would have been like falling asleep like this. The light was one of two elements here in the Old Testament during the wilderness. This light was one of two elements that they decided to begin celebrating when Jesus celebrated the the Feast of Tabernacles. The first one was the water ceremony. And if you guys were here a couple weeks ago or watched online, you remember that. And of course you remember all my sermons. I'm so glad. So just nod. Whenever I ask if you remember, just nod. You can whoop. You can holler. Whatever you want to do. Um, the, first, the first part of, from this wilderness wandering was the water ceremony. Because remember when Moses, remember they needed water? And God provided living water out of the rock? And so the, the, the rabbis began to have this water ceremony. We talked about it. They would scoop the water and they would parade around and celebrate. They'd pour the water on the altar in hopes that someday the water, a water would flow out of Jerusalem. And also we have this light ceremony. The rabbis added these celebrations later. They're not in the biblical mandate on how to celebrate Feast of Tabernacles. The, the, the rabbis added these, these elements. And in fact, we have so many details about this. You know, they have these these writings called the Talmud and the Mishnah. It's this compilation of all the greatest rabbis down through the generations as they would talk about these topics. They would record their conversations and they would put them in in these books. I mean, it would be like today if we had the greatest minds of Christianity, the C.S. Lewis's and the the Dallas Willard's and Timothy Keller's and David Corson's who came together and just talked about the Bible and they recorded their thoughts on these topics. And so that's where we get all these details about how they were to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, even though it's not in the Bible. And Jesus didn't say, don't do it. He referred to it. Now, what's interesting is in the Feast of Tabernacles of Jesus' time, the rabbis added the water ceremony, and they added a light ceremony that we're going to talk about. And it's also because of a passage from Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that someday the Messiah would come, Someday the Messiah would come and he would rescue us and redeem us and save us and water would flow. Living water would flow from Jerusalem. And also, not only that, when evening comes, there will be light. That when the Messiah comes, even when there is darkness, there will be divine light. And so you have to see the play of these two things. For Jesus' time as they celebrate the the Feast of Tabernacles, this week-long holy festival, they're looking back to when the children of Israel had had water and light and lived in tents. And they're looking forward, they're living in tents, to when the Messiah comes and brings living water and brings light even in the darkness that darkness can't overcome. So in Jesus' day, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they're looking at both the past 
and the promise of the future. Looking forward to the Messiah. So, you're a rabbi and you celebrate this, this living water by the water celebration we talked about. But people, how do you celebrate, how do you, when, in Jesus' time, how do you celebrate a pillar of fire? How do you do that? There's no electricity. There's no high beams. I, I, was, thinking, you know, I was thinking about how would they do that? Would they put like every, in your tent during this time, everybody put a candle to remind you of the presence, God's fire. Well, what do they do? Well, the Mishnah, the collection of writings, tells us exactly what they did. This commentary tells us that during the Feast of Tabernacles, the rabbis, they put up four enormous lampstands in the women's courtyard of the temple. Now, the Mishnah says these lampstands were 50 cubits tall. And you guys know ancient conversions, right? You know that 75 feet. So they have 75 foot tall lampstands with four bowls on each one. And it even talks about how the priest would climb the ladders 75 feet with nine gallons of oil on his back to fill these bowls. It was in the woman's courtyard. We have a picture, a rendition of this. One of the inner courts. There's a picture of, you can see one of them right there. Four ladders, one for each one, and the wicks, it says in the Mishnah, were made of the worn-out girdles, the undergarments of the priests. The priests' pants were on fire. And so 75, 75 feet tall in the women's courtyard of the temple, and they had one in north, south, east, and west to them symbolizing that this light is for all the world, a light for everyone. And guess what? It's recorded that at sundown, they would climb up and light these massive lamps. The ceremony was incredible. The, this is what the Mishnah says about it. It says the good men of good deeds would dance around them, and they would all had torches in their hands, and they sang songs and praises. The Levites had harps and lyres and cymbals and trumpets and instruments without number. And they, they would fill the steps leading down the court of the women's court. They would party and they would remember that in the past, God's presence had lit and led them. And Zechariah said, someday the Messiah would come and even in darkness there would be light. Oh, they celebrated and they, they celebrated the past and they hoped for the future. And then they would leave and go home, and they, or not home, they would go to their tent, go to their booth, and they would sleep. And guess what they would see as they looked up through the hole in their sukkot? Just as their ancestors saw, 1,500 years previous, they would look up and see the glow of the lights coming from over the temple. One sage wrote this in the Mishnah. He says, there, is, there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up with the light of the lampstands. Just as when they were in the wilderness and the pillar of fire would light the entire encampment, so it said that these were so bright and so high that every courtyard in Jerusalem had some light and you would fall asleep seeing the evidence, yes, that God's presence had been with us and the evidence that someday the Messiah would come and light once again in the darkness. Now, we know that Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. We've, been, we've seen him there in John 7. And I believe he slept in a tent, in a sukkot, fulfilling the law of Deuteronomy, the biblical law. And Jesus is sleeping there. 
Jesus himself is on a cot looking up through his roof, and he's seeing the light of these fires from the temple. Jesus. He would see the glow of the blazing lampstands. He would see the glow that represented the the presence of God in the past. And he would see the glow that represented the promise of the Messiah to come. Now what blows my mind is that as Jesus is laying there on a cot looking at the lampstands, this is a new perspective for Jesus. You see, Jesus is lying on a cot looking up at the light coming from the temple. But 1,500 years previously, Jesus' perspective would have been much different. You see, a pillar of fire in the Old Testament is a theophany, which is a word that means a visible represent, a unique moment when God's presence was visible to humanity. But in, the, in here in John, Jesus in his humanity looks up at the glow of the blaze. But in the past, Jesus, fully God, would have looked down from the blaze at the Sukkots. I can imagine him lying there on his cot in John 8, John 7. Seeing the glow of the flames and knowing that it's just a glimpse of what it was actually like. Just a tiny taste of what happened back in those days when he led the people. And just a tiniest taste of what it was going to be like when the Messiah was revealed and the light came. And it's also a taste of what was going to happen the next day. You see, because in John 7 was the end of that festival. Jesus would have spent that night, like his disciples, like every Hebrew who pilgrims and who was there in Sukkot in Jerusalem, they would have spent that fun, last final night looking up at the glow from the lampstands. But the next morning they would be extinguished. And they would not be relit until the next year's festival. So the final night of John 7, everyone's enjoying the glow of it. The next morning, they're extinguished. John 8, we read verse 1 that Jesus, he wakes up and at dawn goes to the temple. He gets up and goes to the temple and begins to teach. Last week's sermon, he has a showdown with some priests who bring a woman caught in adultery. He writes in the dust, they drop their stones. Orchard, we drop our stones. That resolves itself. He's in the courtyard, he's speaking, he's teaching. And then he says something, and it's one of the seven I am statements that John talks about. There are seven times that Jesus says, I am. He said, and this is one of them. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, when we've read that, when I've read that in the past, I just thought it was a great symbol. Jesus, the light of the world. Well, that's great. You know, light, light, you're drawn to light. Humanity, morally, physically, we, we like light. Practically, we like light. We're drawn to it. It's, I, it makes sense that Jesus is the light of the world spiritually. I like that. It's, it's a cool symbol. But it always kind of felt to me like it was just dropped here in John 8. Before we had the woman caught in adultery, and after there's this long discussion about his authority, and in the middle of it, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and they move on. But I want you to catch something. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm the light of the world, because it's a good symbol. Jesus is making a declaration here that would have astonished the people present. We read this, and we, from our perspective, think, he's the light. I like that. I like that. 
He would have said that in the Hebrew crowd, in their context, would have been amazed or they would have thought it was scandalous. And it had everything to do with where Jesus was standing when he said it. And thanks to John, we know where he was standing. Eight verses later, he tells us in John 8, 20, Jesus spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world while standing near where the offerings are put. He's not standing there by accident. Jesus is making a point. He's making a declaration. You see, the offering was taken up and taken to the woman's courtyard, a certain area of the temple courts. Do you remember what else was in the women's courtyard at this time? Do, do you remember what I said would have been towering above him as he spoke these words? Do you know what would have been casting a shadow onto Jesus as he said, I am the light of the world? 70 feet above him in the air. That's the woman's courtyard. That's where he would have declared, I am the light of the world. He's standing in the shadow of the lampstands. They are now extinguished. He's standing in the place where the fires of God's presence had been lit the night before. But now, they're darkened. Now they're extinguished for another year. And Jesus goes to this spot in this moment and says, the lights may have gone out on the feast, but I am the light of the world. Those lights, those lights you illuminate every single year to remind you of the pillar of fire that led the people, that was me. Those lamps right here that you light every year as a hope for the promise of the coming Messiah who will bring light in the darkness, I am he. His declaration was astonishing to them. I am he. I'm fulfilling past. I'm the promise of the future. Jesus standing in the place of the temple where the lights would have been lit in the party the night before. Where they had just exhausted themselves with the celebration for what God had done and will do. And he stands in that spot and declares, the lights in the party may have gone off, but I, I am the light of the world. Every single night, back in the children, 1,500 years ago before this, the children of Israel had, had fallen asleep, had fallen asleep with the red, the red of God's pillar of fire, of presence above their tents. And for thousands of years, thousands of years, the prophets wrote and the people prayed and the rabbis taught and they midrashed and they wrote and they, 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 that the someday, someday the Messiah would come. He'd bring salvation. He'd bring rescue. He'd bring redemption. Oh, and living water would flow from the holy temple and oh, the divine light would shine and the darkness will not overcome it. And John 1 verse 4 and 5 says, in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it sounds a lot like Zechariah saying, even though it's dark, their Lord will, the Messiah will bring light. Jesus, the prophecy of Zechariah, is walking among them. The light is here. I am in your midst. And they did not know him. 
which John also wrote about. In 1 verses 9 and 10, it says, When Jesus came, the one who is the true light, Jesus, who gives light to everyone, his coming, was coming to the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He, sh he stood up with, during the water ceremony and said, if you're thirsty, come to me. He stands up at the place they light the fires and he says, I'm the light of the world. And they did not recognize him. You know, Orchard, one thing that I'm praying, I, I'm praying that through this series, we become a church of, a church that realizes that God's word is beautiful, wonderful, and powerful and effective. That there is, a, there is so much beauty in, in how it comes together. That Jesus can stand at the very spot and declare these things, and, and now we see why, and we see where. Orchard, my hope is that through this time, that, that you say, I didn't know that was in there. And that you begin to fall in love with God's word, and that you get in God's word, but more importantly, God's word gets in you. Because of the renewing of your mind, there's transformation. As you get in God's word, it changes you. As you get in God's word on your own, you begin to read things like love your enemy and you realize that that ex who left you high and dry or that business partner that ruined your life or this person that hurt you or that person or that, you begin to be called to be different, to change. And we become the people of God, not just here on Sundays getting a sermon, but in your life you're getting in to this amazing word of God. I have a friend Travis, who, who dedicated himself one year, I'm reading the entire Bible, and he got a Bible plan on his iPad, and he would read the Bible, and he would read a commentary, and it was amazing to watch him go back and forth, and through that year, find out more about who God's nature was, but also what God's nature meant, what his nature was, and what God meant for him to be a, a husband, a dad, and a business person. It is time to get God's word in us more than Sunday morning. I'll put some links online, but Orchard, go and don't do it now because you'll be distracted. Download the YouVersion Bible app. If you're, if you're a, go buy a, a Bible with a commentary. If you have a Bible you can't understand or read, there are so many different translations. Go talk, talk to one of us here. We'll help you. But let's get God's word into us because it is powerful, it's effective, and it's beautiful. That's my hope, is that through this year or through this time of the book of John, we are falling in love with God's word and saying, wow, I didn't know that was in there. Now, obviously, you might not have the time I have, but there are, the, every time I, every night when I read the Bible with Elijah, we pray the same sentence, Holy Spirit, and then he finishes it, reveal truth to us. Holy Spirit, reveal truth. When you read the Bible, before you even read the first word, Holy Spirit, reveal truth to me. Because you can be transformed. Jesus, the light, of the light of the world, is here on the earth. Isn't that a cool statement? It's a great statement, but something happens just one chapter later that's so troubling. I'm going to skip ahead to John 9. John 9, verse 5, Jesus says, While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now that sounds like an expiration date to me. Hey, I'm the light of the world while I'm here. You see, it seems like he says, while I, I'm going to leave. Jesus lived, he died, he, he rose again, and then he ascended. And it sounds like the light of the world ascended with him. Like, you know when someone loses a balloon? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, the light of the world ascended in like, now, now what? Now what? Well, Jesus has a now what? He didn't leave it with, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world, because he knew he would be leaving. And in Matthew 5, 14, he tells us something else. He says, you are the light of the world. 
You who have chosen Jesus for salvation, you who have come to him for salvation, you who follow Jesus, you are now the light of the world. And not just you and I individually, us as the church, the orchard, and us as the church global. We are the light of the world. In fact, Revelation, Jesus tells John that each church has a lampstand. Each church has one. So what does it mean? What does it mean now that we are the light of the world as individuals and as a church? Well, it's very simple. But again, we have to go deep in the Old Testament. And I want to go back to the time of Moses. There he is, and there's the, there's the tabernacle, that building, that holy building that God said, this is exactly how you build it. This here, that there, that's And listen, in that tabernacle, there's some very specific instructions on what goes inside of it and some very special things. And one of those things was a lampstand. There was a lampstand inside the holy place of the temple. You've heard this before, maybe. This lampstand represents you, represents me, and it represents us as the church. And Exodus 25, 37 gives us very specific instructions. It says, make the lamp and set it up so that the li it lights the space in front of it. Where? Ar around it? In front of it. Listen, th th this lampstand, it's not here to light everything. This lampstand, it's not here to light two things. God spoke and said that this light is here to light the space in front of it. And do you know what was in front of it? The bread of presence. Which when Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life, if you remember that sermon from a while ago, of course, that's Jesus. If we are the lamp and Jesus is the bread of life, if we are the light of the world and he's the bread of life, our church and us individually are here for one thing. To light the space in front of us. And it better be Jesus. It's clear to me that God has designed it so that his church and his people have a specific place and a specific mission to illuminate Jesus Christ. Period. The church has become increasingly guilty, national church, of taking our lampstands and illuminating politics. Or illuminating a certain person who's going to save it. Or an agenda. Orchard, any time the church moves its lampstand to illuminate anything else, we lose influence. And I don't want to be that one of those churches where Jesus talks about in Revelation that says, I will remove your lampstand for you. We are here to illuminate Jesus Christ. Do you know what America needs? Can I just tell you what America needs? What America needs is believers, light of the world people, who, who stop all of our agendas and our arguments and our, 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 and our sharpened swords of our causes, and we put it all down, and we love God, and we love people, and we illuminate Jesus. If, if, if magically every believer in America just stopped everything else and did that today, America may change. Because you know what? Your coworkers would see Jesus. Your homes would see Jesus. The people around you would see Jesus. And as people 
people become to Jesus and they get saved with Jesus, then maybe that's how our nation changes. If we want to change America, then we illuminate Jesus. So what it means, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not political? No, that means in your politics, illuminate Jesus. In your political conversation, point it to Jesus. And here it talks about the pandemic. Here's an easy one. Oh, people talking about the pandemics and the masks and all this, the government. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, oh, I just say, I'm so glad that through that time that Jesus gave me peace. They go, what? They go, yeah, I got to go through that without worry. I immediately just said, oh, yeah, all that stuff? Jesus, Jesus. Oh, what about this? The, the politics of this? Yeah, 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 you know. I'm just so glad that Jesus is still on the throne. I have a king. Whatever your politics, wherever on the spectrum, you have a king. We as a church, and I just want to tell you something, and this might cost us some people, and that's okay. I'm okay, I'm okay to die on certain hills, and this is, this is one of them. The orchard, as long as I have breath and this place, will be a church that illuminates Jesus and endorses Jesus as king above all. And I want us to be a people who go out and love God and love people and illuminate Jesus. Because the greatest thing that could ever happen is that our region, our communities, our schools, our companies, our neighborhoods, our cul-de-sacs, our homes, see Jesus and come to the light. And then they become illuminated and they get to go illuminate Jesus to somebody else. It's called revival. That's all I want. We have a mission. We are the light of the world. And we are here to shine. The rest of the verse goes like this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. So many of us, we'd say, oh yeah, I'm here on Sundays and I believe in Jesus, but I go to work. It's so awkward to, to, to point about it. I go, I go do like we, we hide it. He said, don't hide it. Instead, put it on a stand. It gives light to the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people. I'm sorry, all people, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have a mission. We have a moment wherever you are. Praise Jesus that he is stood and said, I am the light of the world. And then when he ascended into heaven, he left it to us. And you're gonna leave this place and you're gonna go to your home or restaurant and you need to start thinking that you are a light. The way you treat your waitress, the way you talk to your coworker, the way you treat your children, the way everything you do is shedding light on something. Let's be the people who shed light on Jesus, correctly positioned to illuminate the bread of life, the only, only thing that can save us individually, our neighbors, and our nation, Jesus Christ. Andy Stanley said it best. He said, don't go out there to the world and argue what's right. You go out into the world and you simply be light. Orchard, as we go into communion, we're gonna hold the elements of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. And as you do this, there might need to be some repentance from you that you've had, you've been involved in conversations and discussions and arguments where you have taken your light and you've shined it in dark corners on certain things, on certain issues. 
And it's time. It's time to reposition that on Jesus. If you're here today, listen very clearly. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not yet come to the light. I want you to come back um, either over here and talk to me or Gracie and some others will be back there in the corner to pray for you. But Orchard, let us take communion and rededicate ourselves to being light that shines on the Savior. And then I want us to stand and sing with our whole heart praises to him. Amen? Amen.